Hola, how are you people? You living people doing things that living people do. Um, welcome back to another episode of Lifestyle of Gay Black Boy Impromptu Edition. And we're going to call it the Impromptu... Oh my God, I got tongue-tied. The Impromptu Edition because I'm giving this to you while I'm rolling a blunt right now. So we're going to call this episode our Rolling Thoughts. You know what? Rolling thoughts. I like that. In each episode that features the Anything Show, I'm going to give you a little bit of my thoughts so we can start things off in a little fun, possibly productive, mostly bullshitting way. (laughs) But I'm here for it. So y'all, if you love the show, please feel free to interact at Anything Show on Facebook and on Instagram, Anything Show with John Francois. And also for Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy, follow me on all the socials at Lifestyle of Gay Black Boy. Or you can email me at LifestyleGBB at gmail.com. That's Lifestyle, G is in gay, B is in black, B is in boy at gmail.com. So, you know, if you ever roll a blunt, sometimes when you roll in, you just start to think about things. Now, had you smoked before you were rolling this blunt, maybe you're thinking like, well, I wonder, did Jesus really walk around with the dinosaurs? Are the Christians right? And that Judaism or Christianity was at the same time that T-Rexes were getting shamed for their short, stubby arms. You know, these are things that I think about when I roll a blunt. I don't know what you think about when you roll a blunt, but if you'd like to share, please feel free to do so because I would love to know. Now, with all that being said and all this different talk about different subjects and things that happen when we're high, I thought I'd give us something very, very fun today to talk about. And my thought is, what happens when you see somebody that maybe you don't know, or there's a strange feeling or sensation that you're not really comfortable with? What can you do in those situations? How do you handle it, especially throughout your week, especially if you're going through a work week? And when I say work week, it can be a full-time job, it could be a part-time job, it could be a temporary job, it could be Uber Eats, it could be whatever it is that you do, whatever is consistent to you just doing work. It could be brushing your damn teeth because brushing your teeth can just be work. And that's perfectly fine. I say all that to say, sometimes throughout our day, we meet people that we don't know. We meet people who are strangers, stranger danger. And sometimes we build stories about that person before we even know who they are. I mean, I know I do it because one of my favorite pastimes is to watch people randomly and make up stories about their life. Stories that are nowhere near true at all, but they just make it nice, at least to me, to meet another person and see what their life is about. Because maybe I was on point. Maybe I saw a husband and wife sitting in the middle of the mall and I'm like, well, the wife is telling her husband that she's done and she's going to leave with Bob because Bob has a bigger penis and better goals and a five-year plan. Or maybe... Uh, the husband, we'll call him Ken, is sitting at the table. And he's like, you know what? You may love Bob, but Bob also got up in his bussy. So I don't know what you're going to do with him because he is my top and you are not going to satisfy him. Random thoughts. I know. It makes no fucking sense at all. But I thought to try something different and new. So when you see a stranger, when you see a person you don't know anything about, instead of making up a story for them, just watch them. 
Just stare at them. Look and see what they're doing. Maybe you can figure out who they are at the point of their actions that you see them displaying. It could be beneficial. It could not be beneficial. It could be a way to pass time or it could just be a whole lot of bullshit. But no matter what it is, it gives you a chance to look at somebody and let them tell their story as opposed to you creating the story and reacting before you even know who they are. I don't know if that'll help anybody in their daily life. I mean, it surely helps me when I meet new people every single day. At least 20 new people I meet a day, which it just happens that life works out that way. So give it a try. Try to see somebody in their natural element first before you make up a story about their life and who they are. And who knows, maybe it could change your whole outlook on meeting new people, your whole outlook on life, or maybe you will find the answer to the purpose of life in the universe. Who knows? Aside from that, y'all, I do want to say um, I have been keeping up with what's been going on in Ukraine, and I'm going to make sure to post some things for humanitarian purposes if you would like to donate to help out Ukraine and the people who are there. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I have seen some of the videos that were posted saying that people who are Black in Ukraine were still being discriminated against because racism does not take a break. Now, some of the videos, I'm going to say this loosely with air quotes, have been verified online, but I'm waiting for them to actually be verified by a source like the Associated Press, um, Al Jazeera News, like some places that I know have trustworthy things that are really true, you know. So I want to look more into it, but right now I just hope that everybody who is there can be safe we can protect as many people as possible and end a war that shouldn't have started in the first fucking place to be quite honest world war three i hope is not upon us but if it is i am telling y'all right now i am not going to get drafted i will be a dodger and i'm not going to hide that fact i don't believe in war and i don't believe in the act of killing people for another person Honestly, if you want to have war and you're a president or you're a ruler of a nation, you should take your happy ass over to that other nation square up and fight, bitch. And if you lose, then you lost your damn war. Do it that way. Because all this shit about taking innocent people from their homes and sending them over to kill other people and be killed and destroying families and ripping them apart. What the fuck is the point of the war if I can't be happy once it's over? So that's just my little rant about the war. Um, Honestly, y'all, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. We've got a great show coming up for you at the Anything Show with a special guest, John Oates from Holland Oates, and a fantastic interview with Zen Ashe, an amazing Black woman who has stories to tell about Zen life and the truth. So, I hope you all enjoy it. Check out the episode and you're going to get your next episode of Lifestyle of Gay Black Boy this coming Saturday featuring Dre Antar of Naked on Arrival. That is the bi POC group for people who are nudist. And I hope you'll enjoy his interview. So again, thank you again for you guys listening. Enjoy the Anything Show that is coming up next. And I'll talk to you on Saturday. From Vermont to upstate New York, this is The Anything Show with John Francois, featuring Andrew Vanderton of the Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy podcast. Now, 
Here's that John guy. Let's go. Sunday, March 6th, as we record this. John Francois here with Andrew Vandertunt. I'm in Colchester, Vermont. Andrew broadcasting from Rochester, New York. Fresh off of the hot Dua Lipa concert in Buffalo. Hey, Andrew. Oh, I love it. Yeah, we're going to talk about that concert because, I mean, why not? It's Dua Lipa. She is the singer of all singers nowadays. Also for our Let's Get Viral, Seinfeld, the sitcom that me and Andrew love so much, didn't predict the Russia-Ukraine invasion. We'll see via a clip later on. Stay tuned. Also, oh my God, I have another big time guest, Andrew. I interviewed Rock and Roll Hall of Famer from Hall & Oates himself, John Oates. How about that? Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> right. Part of a balanced breakfast. Yes. Oh my. One of my favorite songs is from that. Yeah. Really? Oh uh, well. Which song is it? When the morning comes. It's so good. Sing it for me right now. Now. Oh, shit, I don't know the words. Oh, okay, yeah, so-called fan. All righty. <laughs> Author and podcaster Zen Ashe. Me and Andrew had a great conversation with her. And uh, what else? Listen, subscribe, follow, rate, review The Anything Show with John francois on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. Find us on social at facebook.com slash Show. At Anything Show Francois on Instagram and TikTok. We're also on YouTube. Just simply uh, type up The Anything Show with John francois there. Alrighty, Andrew, I am ready for some headlines, uh, i.e. your time at the Dua Lipa concert. You ready to go? Let's do this. Yes. That's the sound of me trying to get audio clips to load successfully, so I apologize. All right. I love it. That needs to be the loading sound on all Mac. Load. Alrighty, uh, Andrew, you went to Buffalo, New York, about an hour from where you are in Rochester. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. You went to see Dua Lipa, uh, the wonderful singer of our time, responsible for big hits like Levitating, uh, I Got Shoes. Wait, what, what was what was that first song that she did? What, I Got... Don't Stop Now. Oh, well, well don't... I, I Got Rules. Yeah, yeah, I Got and Rules. Don't Stop Now. There you go, there you go. So did she perform all her greatest hits last night? So she did. She performed all of her great hits. She did levitate, and I was very happy that she cut out the baby's part of it. So it was fantastic. Um, and then she performed my favorite song, Electricity. That is, I feel like, her best song. Ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Electricity. I think I'll have to pull that up right now. But I also have audio of uh, what it was like uh, last night, Andrew. I think you sent me this not too long ago. Um, and I'm shocked, man. I mean, you, you, you have some pretty good audio skills, my friends. Yeah. So this was like the vibe that I was hearing, uh, last night from Andrew at the Dua Lipa concert. And I think at some point you say, yas, I'm, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that point. You know, there was a collective yas from the audience because <laughs> there were tons of gays there. We were in full force. Now, were, were there any uh, big costumes, any significantly uh, notable characters there? So, unfortunately, no. I didn't really see people dressed up in costumes or anything, which I would have loved. I should have done something. I didn't even think of it. But it was the weirdest thing. There was either super old people, incredibly gay, awesome people yeah we go. yeah or, yeah did you hear that <laughs> i think i just heard you say yes here, here we go yes. 
loves you. Yes. Uh, yes. I love it. I love it. Yeah, but go ahead. The, the, the diversity of Dua Lipa's audience. Go ahead. So it was like incredibly old people, incredibly gay people, or super young children. Like we're talking three, four years old. And I'm like, oh, this is so different. It's this huge mesh. But then around me, there was someone with a Blue Lives Matter mask. There was another person who had a Bible, which I was trying to figure that one out. <laughs> and just different things. And I'm like, okay, this is different. Yeah. Wow. But so, was, uh, go, yeah, go ahead. Tons of fun, though. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about Dua Lipa is how she has a wide diversity of fans. But I guess in terms of the Blue Lives Matter idiots, the not so great thing is that she has a wide diversity of fans. Um, and you know what? When you say very old people, I'm reminded of that TikTok video that I played on the show like a while back. And maybe you were here for that show where uh, the grandpa got surprised by maybe his grandchildren with Dua Lipa tickets. And he just went ape shit. You know, he's like, oh, my God, Dua Lipa, Dua Lipa. Like he, like he was like a 13 year old. Yes, yes. There were people crying. They were crying. I mean, I, I'm sure they were. I mean, Dua Lipa, she's a wonderful talent. She's totally herself. She's quirky. She's inventive. She's just colorful. I mean, you know, what's not to like about her? So, yeah, I mean, it sounded like a very loud, active concert last night, Andrew, in Buffalo, New York. And it, I, yeah, yep. Oh, it really was. It was, it was great. This is my first concert experience. The only thing I have to say is there was a noticeable muffled sound when people did not know the words to the song, including Dua Lipa. Oh, wow. Huh. Like, you know, when somebody's singing, they're like, that's dad. And they're like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, I can't, I don't know the words. It collectively happened multiple times, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, they are talking about with like with these kind of concerts, Andrew, they're saying that maybe there should be quiet zones for people who should or want to get away from all the noise. Now, concerts, yeah, they're, they're known for being really, really loud in your face. I've been to concerts. You almost come away losing your hearing. Uh, but at the same time, I'm thinking like, uh, you know, you go to a concert for that. You want that explosive in-person, in-your-face experience. So why not have your ears bleed? Very true. The louder, the better. Um, honestly, in my book, because I'm probably half deaf. But I enjoy the loudness, but I would have preferred a quiet zone to go drink a beer or something. At. I didn't like having to stay in my seat to have that. All right. Well, you know what? The World Health Organization, they just uh, issued new global guidelines for concert venues that suggest keeping the average sound level below 100 decibels to protect people's hearing. Uh, you know, they say your average rock concert could be like 120 to 130 decibels. So on top of that, they think that venues should be adding quiet zones so people don't walk away uh, like uh, deft uh, affected people. So we'll see about that, Andrew. Um, you know, speaking of Dua Lipa, I saw here that she is being sued by this reggae band called Article Sound System. Now, her song Levitating was released two years ago and it's still rocking the charts. It's still big. I play it here on the radio stations I work for tons of times. And whenever a song gets so huge, you always have that like little known artist that's like, hey, I created a song that sounds just like that way before that hit song came out. So give me money. Now, I want you to listen to this uh, fan comparison that someone made. Article Sound System, I think their song was called like Live Your Life. They released it in 2017. And it does pr sound pretty similar to uh, Levitating that was released in 2020. So uh, hold on, let me uh, see if I can bypass the YouTube ads here, the disgusting YouTube ads. There we go. 
I mean, I know you're biased. I mean, I'm a I'm a big Dua Lipa fan too. I mean, but what do you think? I mean, do you think Article Sound System has a case here? Um, I don't think they have a case, and the reason why I'm going to say I don't think that they have a case is just due to the fact that the timbre of it's different. It's in a different key, and it's not the same instrument quality as the Dua Lipa version. And I'm not saying that as biased. It just it sounds off to me, but. I think that there is similarities for sure. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll see how the results of that go out. Hey, uh, Andrew, are you like me? Do you have a Netflix subscription? No, I don't. Good. Because Netflix, they're going to bother you with trivia coming up on April 1st. Daily interactive trivia called Trivia Quest on Netflix. They're going to have 24 questions, 12 standard and 12 hard. Now, maybe you're not bothered by this, Andrew. Maybe you're a big fan of trivia. Are you? I am. I am addicted to trivia. Okay. Well, science, history, entertainment, sports, art, and geography, this is the reason why you need to get a subscription to Netflix right now. And yes, I'm giving a free publicity thing to Netflix for no reason. Um, I I mean, honestly, I think the prize, because they haven't mentioned a prize for winning this trivia, I think it should be one year of free Netflix. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. One year of free Netflix. So what streaming services do you have? Or do you not have streaming services, Andrew, because you like to pirate things off the internet? Well, I shiver me timbers, arg, <laughs> I'm a pirate. Um, <laughs> but the only one I have is HBO Max because it's through AT&T. And since I have an AT&T phone, I get it for free. But I just always stream things illegally. Okay. Well, you know what? If you're in handcuffs, I hope you can stream uh, and still co-host the show with me from prison. Because I, 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 I still need you in my life, Andrew, even if you are breaking the law. John, handcuffs have never stopped me from having a good time. <laughs> oh, yeah. We could go deep into that, but it probably shouldn't. All right. 31% of people said they would give up dinner to have a second breakfast. I disagree, Andrew. I think because of my early morning routine, um, I am able to have breakfast at 5. That's my first breakfast. My second breakfast is usually around like 9 a.m. at work. And maybe around like 3 or 4 in the afternoon is when I have dinner. So I say, hey, why, why can't you have two breakfasts? Uh, dinner at three o'clock. And actually I forgot about lunch in between lunch, maybe at noon. So I think I have like four or five meals a day. And surprisingly, I'm not dying yet. I think that's a good thing. I mean, I would prefer a second breakfast. The gays, we enjoy brunch. So anytime <laughs> we can have a brunch thing, something we're doing it. All right. I mean, Andrew, you are a vegan. So are there many more options for food than if you are a meat eater? Like, what's that like? Because I always imagine that vegans, since you're limited, you guys seem like you're always hungry. No, not really. I mean, well, it depends on if you're eating a balanced diet one. So that's important. But the variety of foods, it's massive. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I got to look into it and maybe, maybe become a vegan if, if. My lifespan requires me to do so. If. We'll see. If. Ease into it. Don't go full balls to the wall. Just ease into it if you're going to try it. Yeah. All right. Well, parents need to do better with uh, not letting their kids just get their credit and debit cards all willy-nilly. A recent survey said 46% of parents 
uh, have uh, just without looking, you know, had their kid use their debit or credit card without asking. And I feel like at this point, I mean, parents, you got to get one of them locker room locks from high school, chain it to your wallet or purse and just get the kid away. I mean, hey, if you need to put a mousetrap on your credit and debit cards, do what you need to do, because I don't want my child uh, hanging on to my eight thousand dollars. Exactly. To use that on like Fortnite or something. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes, I forgot Fortnite was still a thing. $8,000. I mean, wh- what can you do with $8,000 that has to relate to Fortnite, Andrew? I don't even know. The girls are making money over there, though. Like, I know some of the skins are like a couple hundred dollars, so it's probably pretty easy. Mm. Well, uh, shouts out to this woman who turned to Reddit for advice on how to deal with her stupid husband. The, apparently, her and her husband. Unfortunately, they've been struggling to get pregnant, and uh, the younger sister of this woman offered to be the surrogate. You can tell where this story is going, Andrew. Um, now, they—I mean, the, the the husband and the wife—they could do the IVF thing, but the husband's like, "Hey, you know what? Let's just save some money. Let me just bang your sister." And I guess this woman is asking for advice on Reddit on what to do about that situation. You know, not surprisingly, there was a good number of people that said, "Divorce his stupid ass." Uh, but yeah, this reminds me of like a porn category that I would look up every now and then, Andrew. And I think that this husband is BSing. I mean, he obviously just wants to bang his wife's sister. I don't think this is just purely for business reasons. Yeah. Like whatever happened to the good old fashioned turkey baster? This is how people did it. This is how the gays do it. You just splooge in a cup and boom. <laughs> you know, I think some people on Reddit did mention turkey baster as a possible option, but isn't there like a, a side effect or a risk to that? Or or is that completely clean? Well, now, I mean, clean it with actual sterilization tools, like clean it, but it's easier than letting somebody have sex with you that you don't want to have sex with. Yeah. A poll found that it takes seven stressful work days before we want a vacation. So, I don't even know what a vacation means, Andrew. I mean, I think the last time I took a legit vacation was, what, summer of 2019? Um, I mean, you consider the pandemic uh, that has uh, made a lot of people not want to work. And the fact that uh, we have always been short-staffed where I worked, uh, you know, those all those things combined. I mean, my God, I'm surprised I've made it this long without a full, legit one-week vacation. When, when was the last time you took a vacation? Um, my last full vacation was last summer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how have you been? Have you been losing your mind ever since? No, you know what? For me, one stressful day is enough for me to say I need a vacation. I would think <laughs> but, so because you're in the medical field. Yeah. Like in the medical field, a one stressful day can take you from the mountaintop to like hell. And you're like, oh my God, I need time away immediately. So if that one stressful day is enough to make you go on a vacation, like how, what gets you uh, able to get up in the morning the next day and, and do it all over again? Because I love what I do. When I get up and do my job in the morning, it doesn't even feel like I'm going to work. I enjoy every single thing that I get to do. So for me, I love it. The growth, the potential, all of that just makes me feel good. I love it. And, and you know what? Same for me. I mean, I, I, I do a lot of radio, so it's very easy to get burned out in this business with all the energy and the multitasking that you got to do. Uh, but uh, even though there are stressful days where I would rather take a vacation, I also would rather be nowhere else in terms of work. So aren't we just hashtag blessed, Andrew? 
Yeah, I did that stupid millennial thing. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag pancakes are life. <laughs> Wait, pancakes are rice? No, 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 no. Pancakes are life. L-I-F-E. <laughs> what did you think I said? Pancakes are rice? Yes, I thought you said pancakes are rice. And surprisingly, I thought that would be delicious. Hey, you know what? Uh, how about we put that as a possible name for this episode? Pancakes are rice. I literally just typed it into the show doc right now. There you go. I like that. I love it a lot. Yeah. And I love you, Andrew. Oh, I love you too. Oh my God, we're so so affectionate. Uh, <laughs> so if you have a headline you want to send us, facebook.com slash the anything show, Instagram and TikTok at anything show Francois. It's John and Andrew here on this anything show loveliness of lovely spectaculars. Uh, coming up later on, like I said, we have a conversation that I had with the wonderful legendary John Oates. Yes, that John Oates from Hall and Oates. Uh, he's currently on a tour with Nashville guitarist Guthrie Trap. So we'll talk about that. And Zen Ashe, a wonderful author and podcaster that me and Andrew talked to a few days ago. Uh, we'll be hearing uh, wonderful insights from her on how to uh, keep your life motivated and better every day. I love it. But right now, Andrew, uh, very true to your medical field, I think we should uh, get viral. What do you think about that? Let's do it. I love it. Oh, yes. It's let's get viral, y'all. Gonna be the shortest let's get viral of your life because i don't know maybe our two interviews are going to be very long who knows andrew are you keeping up with wheel of fortune like every 89 year old on this planet my best friend loves wheel of fortune so i always hear about it yeah and what i love about wheel of fortune is that it's been on the air for a million years every now and then look i like it i'm not gonna like diss old people for being their target demographic i like it every now and then what i like is that even when it's been on the air for the longest freaking time it still manages to find a way to get viral like every other week for uh, contestants who you know have those silly moments on the air so uh the latest wheel of fortune viral moment uh, this contestant uh, is trying to solve the phrase that ends up being another feather in your cap. Uh, but God, I mean, I think she must have uh, went through this attempt like nine times before someone else beat her to it. Oh, not, no. not, yeah, I know. Now, now, are you familiar with the phrase another feather in your cap? Have you heard that phrase before? Yes, I have. OK, well, here's uh, this contestant's many failed attempts at getting it. I'll solve. OK. Another feather in your hat. I'll solve. Okay. Another feather in your lap. No. All of the feather is moving around. (laughs) Well, what letter would you like? A P? Yes, there's a P. Spin or solve? I will solve. Okay. Another feather in your map. So what letter would you like? A C. There's a C up there anywhere. There you go. You want to solve this? Yeah, I'll solve. Another feather in your cap. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so sad for that lady, but (laughs) yay for the guy who was just like, oh, this is my opportunity to go in. I love her enthusiasm. 
and Pat Sajak is terrible. That was a great joke that the feather's moving around. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pat is just there to, you know, keep the audience laughing. You know, I, I will say to Pat's credit, because there were people online that were bashing this lady, like, oh my God, you're such a dumbass. Blah, 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 blah. And Pat, uh, bless his heart, is just like, hey, you know, you try being in front of millions of people in the studio and at home, like you try having your head on straight. Like when you have all those lights and attention on you, like, yeah, you're going to blank out. You're going to be stupid for a moment. So uh, that that is uh, certainly a, a great source of sympathy for Pat Sajak on his pot. Well, Andrew, uh, you know, if you see the news like every second of the day, we have an unfortunate thing going on where Russia is being idiotic and invading a country that doesn't deserve it, Ukraine. So... I think this is very interesting because, you know, when these kind of big events in the world happen, we always say like, oh, wait a minute. The Simpsons predicted this 20 years ago. And in this case, Seinfeld, one of our favorite shows, Andrew, is the culprit. Apparently, people are now uh, referencing a 1995 episode of Seinfeld where Kramer and Newman, they're on a crowded subway playing the board game Risk. And I guess it's all about like you know, them trading countries like, oh, who's going to take over this? Who's going to take over that? Who's going to own this? Who's going to own that? And Ukraine becomes a big part of it. So let's uh, take a listen to that. Oh, my God. Was that the sound I made earlier when when the audio clip wouldn't work, Andrew? The loading sound? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that the loading sound I made? Rice and noodles. <laughs> Well, uh, let's reset Seinfeld in Ukraine. I, I, I give you such a beaut. Are you uh, sure you know where the impound yard is? Oh, stop stalling. Come on. I, I can't think. It's all this noise. Or is it because I've built a stronghold around Greenland? I've driven you out of Western Europe? And I've left you teetering on the brink of complete annihilation. I'm not beaten yet. I still have armies in the Ukraine. (laughs) The Ukraine. You know what the Ukraine is? It's a sitting duck. A road apple, Newman. The Ukraine is weak. It's feeble. I think it's time to put the herd on the Ukraine. I come from Ukraine. You not say Ukraine weak? Yeah, well, we're playing a game here, pal. Ukraine is game to you. How about I take your little bonus? Yeah, kind of ironic that you see this guy representing Ukraine like, oh, I come from Ukraine. Don't you talk about my country. I'll beat your ass. But like, unfortunately, what we've been seeing on the news is, you know, this Ukraine country being portrayed as, oh, my God, poor Ukraine. They're helpless against uh, powerful uh, dictator asshole Vladimir Putin. Now, Andrew, I know you are a big fan of Seinfeld. You've watched each episode like four times. You remember watching this episode? Yes, I was mouthing the words along with it because I know the words from that episode perfectly. And that scene that happens in the subway train when the Ukrainian man destroys the the board is hilarious. Now, now, do you think it's actually telling satire of what is happening today or do you think it's just completely different? You know what? I'm going to say it does. It gives us like some satire of what it is, because I think when this whole conflict started, a lot of people looked like, well, Ukraine's pretty small. They're pretty weak. It's not really going to work out for them. But Ukraine is holding their own pretty well. Yeah. And uh, obviously, we as the U.S. of A, we are doing our best to stand with them, you know. Uh, So we are wishing our best to the Ukrainians and hoping that uh, 
Vladimir Putin uh, gets his uh, due whatevers. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Andrew? Uh, Because he could be arrested. He could be executed. Like, I think you literally had um, one of those senators, uh, Lindsey Graham, said, hey, uh, Russia, if you got to kill Vladimir Putin to make a point, then just kill him. Uh, That's I think that's the best way to go. Like, what do you think? I mean, Lindsey Graham's an idiot. (laughs) Okay. Um, he, He just is. But I don't see why we have not done what we've done in other countries to remove somebody of power and help the opposite faction win in this scenario. I really feel like there's a lot of things that are in bed in the government that has to do with Russia and the United States. It's going to sound like conspiracy theory when I say it that way, but the attitudes and the affirmations and different things that have occurred to see where we are now, it's like, okay, y'all knew this was coming. This wasn't just out the blue. You knew this, and it took this long for people to start speaking up in our government. Yeah, and you know, literally uh, in our in my studio where I'm doing this in Colchester, Vermont, I am looking at a TV screen showing CNN right now. Uh, the headline, the latest headline from CNN as we're recording this Sunday, what March six? Uh, Russia mm-hmm. invades Ukraine. Pianist plays to help ease refugees crossing into Poland. So this is a story that will be talked about for a while. And uh, once again, we hope for the best for our people in Ukraine. Sending them some love. All the black people in Ukraine, I want them to live. Wait, there's black people in Ukraine? How did that happen? There are black people in Ukraine. There are black people everywhere. John, we're everywhere. Okay, I, look, I don't know. I don't know. I, You know, based on what I've been told, you know, it's like, oh, there's black people in Africa. There's black people in America. And that's it. I mean, but black people in Ukraine, that's that sounds like a foreign concept to me. I know. And when I found out, I was like, well, there's black people there. So I hope all of the black people make it out as safe as you can. Absolutely. That's really what I'm hoping for. Absolutely. Yes. We, we wish nothing but the best. All righty. If you have a viral video, you want to send me an Andrew, Facebook.com slash anything show, Instagram and TikTok at anything show Francois. How about I talk to John Oates of the legendary Hall of Notes about his tour that he's doing with Nashville guitarist Guthrie Trap, and then afterwards, me and Andrew, Andrew and I, you and I, Andrew, will be talking to author and podcaster Zen Ashe. How does that sound? Awesome! All right. Hey, John, how you doing? Good, how's it going? I'm doing wonderful, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, man, so I, you know, it's, it's funny because the other day I was just seeing the uh, the YouTube live stream that you and Guthrie Trap did not too long ago, and it was it was great. I enjoyed the music, I enjoyed the conversation. Um, and now, of course, that's kind of, you know, culminating in the, the evening of songs and stories that you're gonna be doing with them, uh, and you guys are gonna be touring together. H- how did you meet uh, Guthrie Trap in the first place? We, uh, we met 15 years ago at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. We, um, I was uh, sitting in with the Sam Bush band. Guthrie was playing with Jerry Douglas. And at the end of the night, uh, they always have a big like jam where all the artists get on stage. And he was on one side of stage, I was on the other. And all night I had been hearing him play and I was so impressed. And uh, we met and we kind of got, you know, we, we really hit it off. Um, we hung out that weekend and then uh, we began to work together in the studio, work together with different groups uh, and little by little became very good friends. And so after the tour with Daryl was finished in 21, uh, this last one, the big tour, he and I were playing in the living room, just two acoustic guitars. And it sounded so good. We were like, Hey man, let's just do this. 
can we do this? Can we just take this on stage with just the two of us? And we said, yeah, let's give it a try. So we, we did a few shows in the Nashville area and a few in Colorado. It worked out really well. And uh, we said, let's book some shows and here we are. So we're, we're going to do, uh, we got some shows in the Northeast and we're going to book some more in May and uh, bring the, uh, bring the, you know, the songwriting and storytelling to, uh, to the stage. Awesome. Yeah, I know that. And, I, and I'm based in Vermont, by the way. So I do know that uh, not too far away from me, you're going to be in Laconia, New Hampshire. Yep. Uh, and uh, I know you're going to be in New York as well. So, you know, thank you for, for coming to the Northeast. We, we love to have you. Um, so how would you how would you describe your chemistry with Guthrie compared to obviously your your well-known chemistry with Daryl Hall? Oh, it's, it's completely different. You know, um, I mean, Daryl, you know, Daryl is a multi, you know, a multi-talented songwriter, singer, producer, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm the same. Guthrie really is more of a pure guitar player. Uh, he's, you know, he's got a great personality. He's very, he's very uh, vibey and entertaining, but, but his sweet spot is just this incredibly intuitive and creative guitar uh, playing. And he's incredibly versatile. What, what, what I love about it is he brings out the best in me, makes me a better guitar player. And I can do anything I want when I'm on stage with him. There's no, there's no rules. If, if someone in the audience calls out a song, I'll just start playing it and he'll, he'll watch my hands. And even if he doesn't know the song, he'll, you know, by, by, you know, 16 bars in, he's already learned it. Um, so I just love that because it gives me total creative freedom. Uh, and he's, and he's a great hang. He's a great vibe. I love it. And, uh, you know, obviously the show is titled, you know, Songs and Stories with with John Oates and Guthrie Trapp. Can you give us a taste of some of the stories we could be expecting when we see you guys? Yeah, well, we, you know, what, what, what we do is we go back to the earliest days of, you know, we actually start the show with one of the first songs that I ever played on guitar and sang when I was about eight or nine years old. Um, and it's an old Don Gibson song called Oh Lonesome Me. And I still have the actual sheet music for that song when back in the days when we learned songs by reading sheet music. Um, so, you know, it kind of it kind of parallels my musical life. Um, we go back to some of the songs that uh, that I rediscovered during the folk revival in the early 60s. Songs by a lot of the roots and, and blues and uh, even country performers who kind of paved the way for rock and roll. And we go back and I tell the story about how uh, Jimmy Rogers, for instance, you know, one of the kind of the godfather of country music. Uh, I didn't I, I did some research and found out that some of my heroes, people like like uh, Mississippi John Hurt and um, Robert Johnson, they they were fans of Jimmy Rogers, which I had no idea. I would never have put that together. So I kind of interweave this this blending. And, and what it really shows is that the history of American music is really a melting pot. It's this amazing, you know, um, fusion of all these different, you know, uh, ethnic and early styles that came together and became became rock and roll and became, Amer you know, contemporary American popular music. So in a way, we kind of tell that story in a, in a musical sense. I love it. And uh, lastly, I mean, it's well known that you and Daryl pretty much dominated top 40 back in the 70s and 80s. And I have to ask um, your thoughts about the evolution of top 40 from when you and Daryl did versus what we consider to be top 40 today. <laughs> it's funny you should say top 40. It shouldn't, shouldn't it be like top 400 million? Um, <laughs> exactly. Because, because there's so much music out there. I mean, I, I, I read somewhere where there's like, a couple hundred thousand songs released every hour 
I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, so, so I don't know, you know, it, look, the digital revolution uh, has been, you know, it's, it has a lot of positives. It's given, it's given voice to everyone around the world, both, you know, musically, socially, whatever. Um, that's, I guess, the good thing. The bad thing is that it's given voice to everyone around the world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's hard to cut through the clutter. Uh, it, it's, it's very difficult for a young musician to make their mark and, and gather an audience uh, because there's just so much going on. Uh, I'm, you know, it's, it's the world has changed uh, drastically. And, you know, I try to keep up with it through social media and, you know, being active that way. Um, but, you know, luckily for us, Daryl and I, our, our song catalog has stood the test of time and people still want to hear it. So we're, we're out there playing and we'll be doing some shows this summer. But in the meantime, we each give, give each other the freedom to kind of go off on our own individual musical journeys. Yeah, and that's certainly what you're doing right now with an evening of songs and stories with uh, John Oates, yourself, and Guthrie Trap. Uh, can you just quickly run through the, uh, the the areas that you'll be appearing in with your show? Yeah, we're going to be in the Northeast. We're uh, we're starting in Phoenixville, PA, which is right outside of Philly. Uh, then we come up to Laconia, New Hampshire, on the on the uh, I believe that's the I want to say 16th, 18th. Okay. Uh, then we're in Norwood, Mass, on the 19th. Boy, you're testing me, dude. Um, <laughs> Then we go to Ridgefield, Connecticut, and then we're in New York City on the 22nd, Bethesda, Maryland on the 24th. And then we're in Newport, Rhode Island at a really cool old vaudeville theater called the Jane Pickens Theater on the 26th, uh, 26th yeah, of March. Uh, but in the meantime, if you're not in that area, we are streaming a show on mandolin.com, which is a streaming service. And that's March 13th. We're streaming it. So if people want to tune in and check out the show, um, they can see us uh, from the comfort of their living room. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. You got it, man. Great to talk to you. So, uh, Andrew, you are in the midst of a fellow Texan. Zen is in Houston. Yeah, I'm in spring, actually, right outside of Houston. So. Yeah. Awesome. I lived down in Colleen for a few years. Okay. Okay. Nice. Awesome. I saw you just um, looked on Wix to get chapter one of my book. Can yeah. I tell you about it? Sure. Girl. <laughs> Hang on. Okay. Who Maybe we it? should record this. Maybe oh. we should record this. Yeah, so. it's already recorded. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's already recording. Okay, 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 okay. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. So, you know, I was sitting there, I'm like, I'm going to read this book. We got to see. I don't know if I'm going to have too much relation to the characters because I'm gay. But then I was reading, I was like, wait, this man, JJ, dad by good dick and knows how to treat people. And then you said, you didn't have to wash dishes. You didn't have to pay for bills. You didn't have to go pick him up. He had his own place. Okay, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, 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 so much. Wait, so, say that one more time, Andrew. Say that again. I, I can relate to your writing so much. I felt like you were in the room talking to me. And I'm like, you are just reading me right now. <laughs> I love it. I'm so, uh, I mean, now uh, you, you, you gotta, you gotta make me familiar with your writing, Zen, because I, I know okay. you from, uh, I, I know you I know you from the Zenergy podcast. I don't know you too much from your writing. So tell me more about that. So this is the book that he's talking about. 
It says oh. plenty of guppies and other dating misadventures. And the subtitle is Lust, Loss, and Lessons of Love from 101 Dates, a memoir in poetry and prose. So the book is a true story. It's my story. Um, it starts the day that I get divorced. Um, and I've basically decided that I've tried to live by society's rules. I've tried to be the good girl. I've tried to get married and have kids and think that's going to make me happy. And it didn't. And so now I'm going to date and I'm going to try to meet a man that I want, you know, whether he's what society says I should be looking for or not. Um, and so I go on this journey to find, I'm not looking for the one right now. Cause I just got divorced. I'm looking for basically a friend with benefits Ooh. and he only has to have four qualities. And so JJ is that first friend with benefits. Um, so I start off the story with him, but then I go backwards to tell you the 16 dates I, I, I went through to get to him. Um, cause I had some crazy, experiences but every guy has a nickname except for the the few that i'm still in contact with that let me use their initials you know so everybody every other guy has the nickname that i called him at the time when i was journaling about my dates um and he earned a nickname based on whatever strange thing he did during our date whatever made him stand out that was his nickname um, and so there's a bunch of different nicknames in the book. So everything in the book is true. Uh, the book has 92 poems, 26 chapters. Every chapter ends with a lesson that I learned from that period of time uh, or that person or that those set of experiences. So there's 26 lessons. Um, and it's basically just how I went from, in a sense, broken to healed, uh, from conventional to kind of living my own life and in my own way on my own terms. Um, so that's really what, the, what it's about. And that's really what the Zenergy podcast is about too, is that urge for peace and fulfillment. And how are you going to go about achieving that? You know, now going back to the book, I mean, I, I, you got me really curious about the nicknames. I mean, can you just give me like a little hint of some of these nicknames? Just a little bit without. Oh, you know, there's all kind of nicknames. Um, the incredibly hulky Letcher is one. Um, um, less Musclehead Barbie is another one. Um, <laughs> what else? Moby Dick. Um, Plenty of Fish is one guy's nickname. Mr. Plenty of Fish. Um, who else? Mystique is one guy's nickname. Um, who else? Um, the Scanner. Uh, so there's there's a whole bunch. There's like 101 nickname. Well, almost 101 nicknames. Yeah. There's one nickname that got me right away, Leather Hands. I was like, oh, I, I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the scanner, what does the scanner mean? I, I, I want to know about that one. The scanner, um, he invited me to a, a, a bar, a sports bar, and it was a place where they had all these beers. And when I came into the bar, um, he was just scanning the room like, you know, like he was like he was nervous, like, you know, like the way you see people do in movies, like if they're running from the cops or something like their heads on a swivel and they're just scanning like all the time. And he did that the whole time until he drank two beers and then he calmed down and he was actually looking at me. Because the first 20 minutes or so, he was just 
his eyes were just everywhere. And I was like, okay. So he was making me very nervous, you know, until he calmed down. So he wow. got became the scanner. Moby Dick. I, I, you know, I know of the story. I don't know about the story. Uh, is it, is, is his penis the size of a whale? Like what, what, what does that even mean? Well, he, yes, he showed me a, a, a picture because he thought that that was going to make me jump into bed with him. But what it did was turn me off so much to where we actually, we were in the front of the restaurant. He showed me the picture. I said, mm, I, I'm not interested and left basically, because number one, you just don't lead with that. And number two, it just, you know, I would rather learn that on my own and decide if I want to go there on my own, not have you just flash something at me. You know, when you just met me, you don't even know my last name, you know? So Yeah. So that was how I nicknamed him. Yeah, that, that seems to describe a, a lot of guys in the online dating universe. It's just, you know, unsolicited dick pic after unsolicited dick pic. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that ladies have to deal with that. <laughs> um, so, all right. So we got this book uh, that I literally just found out about now. So forgive me. It's it, Now, what is it called again? And where can you get it? It's called Plenty of Guppies and other dating misadventures. If you just type in plenty of guppies in the Amazon, it'll pop right up. Uh, it actually, it actually went number one before it even launched four days before the launch. Cause the launch was Valentine's day. It actually went number one before I even announced it was out because what happened was I had made some bookmarks. These are the bookmarks. And I had started passing them out on the 29th of January. I had been telling people the book was going to come out. And I said, it's going to be out on Valentine's Day. It's going to be out on Valentine's Day. And so on the 9th, um, I was sitting on the computer, just like I am with you guys, with my editor on the phone. We were uploading the book to Amazon and we were having all these problems. And it was giving us error messages. She was like, let me call the formatter. Let me get everything you know, together. I will text you in the morning and let you know it's up. The first text I get in the morning are, I got your book from people, from people like my coworkers and other people who knew the book was coming out. And I was like, how did, where did you get it? How did, what are you talking about? And they're like, I just went to Amazon and typed in plenty of guppies. It popped right up. I was like, and I go to Amazon and I type in plenty of guppies and it pops up with the number one sticker at the top. And I, I call my editor. I was like, um, she's like, are we going to do that promotion that you were talking about? I was like, no, we don't need to do the promotion and I'm like, here, let me show you the screenshot. It's already number one in poetry. I was like, wow. So yeah. So before we even announced it, so it's number one um, in Native American poetry right now. It's on four other poetry uh, bestsellers list, American poetry, poet, just general poetry. And it's also on the bestsellers list of memoirs and biographies. So, so that's yeah. That, that's awesome. Congratulations. And <laughs> yeah, I, I want... Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously, you know, well-deserved. I mean, it sounds like a wonderful book and I definitely got to get myself a copy. I mean, you gave me the greatest <laughs> elevator pitch ever. Um, so now that this book has come out and it's gotten this, you know, great, you know, reception, I wonder if, uh, you know, there are readers, let's say male readers, obviously, who look at this and are just like, oh my God, I, I, I'm, I'm almost afraid to go on a date with this woman because she might just document it in a book and then my you know, reputation is all of a sudden ruined. 
Well, actually, nobody, like I said, unless, you, like, let's say you and I went out, unless you told somebody who you are in the book, they wouldn't know. Because okay. all of the guys have nicknames, except for, like I said, the four that agreed to have their initials. But um, you, nobody would know it was you unless you said, I am so-and-so. And at the time that I wrote the book, and even now, I'm very comfortable being single. So I even put in the book, if I never have another date, I'm okay. Mm. You know, I, I, I am dating someone who is in the book, you know. Um, so whether that goes and becomes serious or it doesn't, it stays just the way it is. I'm fine. Um, and that's part of what the book is about. There's such a push, I think, in our society for people to couple up and to get their validation through being someone's wife or husband or boo or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, that I think some of us, I'll say for myself, that I didn't learn how to validate myself and completely have that I'm whole, whether I'm a mother, a wife, I am whole, I'm complete. And I don't have to have that relationship status to make me worthy and let people, you know, to, for people to see me as worthy. So, like I said, if I never have another date, okay. You know, um, I'm, I'm not worried about that. This not, you know, and I don't think, like I said, if any guy is intimidated by it, it's out there. I can't, I can't undo it. it it's yeah. out there. It, it is what it is, you know, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, uh, they, they, they often say that when you, you know, write your story, you may discover things about yourself along the way that you may have never discovered before. So would you say that this, um, this, th this pride that you have with your, you know, independence, not needing to be in a relationship like society tells you to, would you say that's like the main thing that you have discovered along the way while writing this book? There's 26 lessons in the book. Um, all of the 26 are to me, very important lessons. Um, as I wrote the book, when I decided to write the book, okay, let me go back. I didn't want to write this book. Okay. Um, people have been saying I should write this book for seven years since I got divorced and I first started dating. People have been saying, oh, my gosh, you have the craziest poems. You have the craziest stories about your dating life. You should write a book. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But um, October 3rd of last year, I woke up. It was my mom's birthday. She passed two years ago. And I felt just so much loss on that day because there was so much going on, so much had happened. I wanted to tell her so many things. I couldn't do it. And I sat at my computer and I wrote for five hours. All the things that I wanted to tell her, all the things that, that had happened, all of it. The, and then I sat, I looked at what I wrote. I said, oh my God, I'm writing the book. <laughs> and then once I started, uh, this is going to sound gross, but it was kind of like if you start to urinate, you can't stop midstream. You know, you have to kind of keep going. So once I started to write, I actually couldn't stop it. So I like every day it was like this push to write, write, write. So I actually wrote the book in 65 days and the poems were already written. So I just had to kind of put them in the timeline where they fit. But the rest of the book was written in 65 days. Mm. So as I was writing, I didn't have any outline. I didn't have any plan of how I'm going to write this book. I wrote it. I started the day I got divorced and I just started writing. And then as I was writing, I was like, 
this should be like my podcast, ABC order. What's the first chapter? Attitude. I had to get my attitude right. What did I learn about my attitude? Okay, the first thing I learned was don't be a rose, be the whole damn bush. That was the first thing I learned. All right. Um, And then the next one, I looked at my topics for my podcast, boldness. I started to develop boldness. So chapter two was boldness. And so as I was writing, I started looking at my podcast, things that I had put in the podcast. Also, I started thinking about what I was learning as I'm writing, as I'm reflecting. So yeah, I learned a lot about myself in writing the book. I, I learned a lot and I had to face up to some of my, how can I put it? I put all the, I made myself look as human as I am. I didn't try to make myself look good. I, I, I put the things out there that I did wrong, the things that I thought, thought I did right. I put it all out there. So it was very transparent. So I had to fess up on some of my uh, failures, I guess you could say. Mm. You know, so that also was, a, in a sense, me taking accountability for everything, which I felt like I had already. But also, if I'm going to tell the story, I need to tell the whole story. I felt, you know what I mean? So it was a chance for me to take accountability, show my lessons, show my growth. You know, and I feel like doing that gives people other gives other people freedom to think and look about at their lives and think about their lives. So now, is there a particular failure you went through that you are like, you know, that maybe back in the day, once upon a time, you were when it's brought up, you're just like, oh, my God, like, I'm so ashamed of that. And I wish I had never gone through that. Maybe you still feel that way to this day. Is there because I, I think we all kind of had those failures in life that we regret and we wish we could take back, even though we kind of know in the back of our minds that you know, failure is what allows us to succeed eventually. Well, I mean, um, there was a part of me giving so much of my power away that I wished in a sense I hadn't done uh, in my marriages. Um, Kind of, there's a Julia Roberts movie where I think it was The Runaway Bride. And she didn't know what kind of eggs she liked because in every relationship, whatever kind of eggs he liked, that was the kind of eggs she liked, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's that coming to America scene where he's asking her to bark like a dog, you know, bark like a big dog, you know? And, you know, what do you like? Whatever you like. (laughs) And I wasn't exactly that bad, but I was kind of close to it. Um, Because I, I, I guess you could say I hadn't developed a lot of confidence in myself before I got married. And so when I got married, I wanted to be everything that he wanted and do everything he wanted. And um, so that's, um, I guess, a failure in a sense that I wish I hadn't done that because maybe, maybe had I had more pushback, maybe things would have been different. Had I had more confidence in my sexuality, maybe things would have been different. Maybe we would have been able to grow together you know what I mean? But it just didn't work that way. You know, so, so that's one failure. Um, and also there was a time when I feel like, um, when I was in my emotions and I was hurting that I was selfish, um, I could have been more, maybe more giving, but at the time I kind of felt very overwhelmed and I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. I think many artists, aren't really good with emotions. That's why we do art. 
we do art to get the emotions out of us. And so when I get overwhelmed by emotions, I don't necessarily always know what to do with them. You know, so I end up creating something, but dealing with them is very difficult for me. So um, I've had I've spent a lot of time in therapy trying to learn how to deal with my emotions. And I think that there have been times when I've hurt people because they felt that I was cold or I was unfeeling or insensitive. And there was it was not my intention to do that, um, you know, at all. But that was a failure that I had. And just trying to learn how to deal with my emotions. And most people think women are, oh, women are so emotional. No, not all women. You know, men are so unemotional. Well, not all men. You know, we're individuals. So, you know. Yeah. Andrew, what's up? So I read the preview for your book. Then I listened to your podcast. And it was astounding. Your voice is exactly the same in the book. And I hadn't even heard your voice at the point. It's something that I pick up on people. I have to ask you, what was the moment in your life that brought you to being able to speak so freely about who you are, the deep changes you're experiencing, and the topics you choose? One specifically I love is bold. What brought you to these points? Um, I really don't know. Um, I guess one thing that happened was... um, I've had a lot, a lot of loss in the last seven years. Um, I've actually had 11 deaths in my, in my family and friend circle. And when, for me, when I'm standing over somebody's cough and I'm at a funeral, I get that call that someone's passed or, you know, that message. Um, once the grief subsides and comes to a manageable level, there comes for me that, okay, I'm not immortal. I am going to die. I want to make sure that I've done everything I can do with my talents, my abilities, my voice. I want to get everything out of me that I can get out of me. Um, I want to try to help as many people as I can. So I think there there came a point where it began to feel like the clock was ticking <laughs> on my life. And, and I felt like I, st- I just started this seven years ago with, with writing. I mean, I've been writing most of my life, but when I was in both my marriages, I stopped writing. So for 17 years, I didn't write. And so there's a, a part of me that feels like, oh my God, I got so much to make up for. I have so much time I've lost. And so I think that that gave me, in a sense, um, a ticking clock in the back of my head to say, you didn't do this for 17 years get busy, you know? So I think that that's the, I, the push, I guess, is the deaths that I've experienced and just feeling like when I, when I listen and I think about the people that I've lost, that I know they weren't done. You know what I'm saying? I know they weren't finished. I know that there were things that they wanted to finish, but they couldn't. So in a sense, in memory of them, I need to be bold and I need to be um, just, just let it all out in a sense because they can't, you know? Yeah. Is it too personal to ask who who you've lost? Ah, okay. Um, so my father, my mother, my grandparents, both sets of in-laws because I was married twice. Um, my ex-husband, my son's best friend, my mentor and my best friend, that's all the people. So that's actually 12 
um, people. And my dad, he he died right before that seven year period. So I'm including him in that, even though he's when we get into the book, you know, that's a past experience as I'm, you know, talking in the book. But yeah, so it's really 12 people if you think about my dad. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, I had mentioned uh, before we started this conversation here, uh, Zen, and and I'm so sorry. I mean, we we kind of like, you know, rolled into the conversation without formally introducing your name here. So it's, it's, is it Zen Ashe? Is that how you pronounce your last name? Ashe. Ashe. Yeah. Ashe, Ashe. So, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, I, I was listening to a few episodes of your Zenergy podcast, which I think um, is just the uh, finest example of the motivational kind of podcast you want to hear, because I like how each episode revolves around a theme that really just, you know, is designed to just, you know, build up your character and and, and keep you going. And there was a one particular episode about dedication that I, I, I really liked because of, of just that idea of, you know, no matter what, you know, keeping yourself, you know, focused and, and zoned in and dedicated on a, a, a certain particular purpose in your life, whether it be career or whatever. Um, is, is there a moment in the podcast that really uh, means a lot to you, a particular theme that you touched on where it's like, okay, that's me to a T and I, and I really connect with that the most. There have been so many great podcasts. I don't, you know, I, I will say the one thing that I didn't know was going to happen when I started the podcast, I didn't know how much I was going to grow. Um, people coming on and telling their stories, telling how they've overcome things. It has definitely challenged me in many ways. So there have been so many uh, episodes. I love the alignment episode. That was one of my favorites. Um I have episodes with my mentor who passed. Um, so there's one called Adore Your Ancestry that I did with him. One called Awakening that I did with him. Uh, Cooperative Economics I did with him. Um, my best friend that passed, we did an episode called Connection. And I, I loved that episode, you know, cause we talked about all kinds of ways that people connect and romantic connections and just a lot of these ideas that are floating around about relationships and situationships and all this stuff. Um, so I love that episode. So I, I love a lot of the episodes. There's not one that I don't like. <laughs> so I, I love them all, but those are the ones that I guess you could say are, are closest and dearest to my heart off the top of my head. Can you tell me more about your relationship with your mentor and, uh, you know, more specifically a, a, an episode with your mentor that sticks out to you that you thought was really moving? Well, um, my mentor came into my life and I always say I don't know when he came into my life, but I, I'll say maybe five years ago, uh, he was a drummer and uh, he's also a minister and we ended up at an open mic together, which happens with a lot of artists. And he ended up playing the drums behind me. And I didn't even remember this until all these pictures started to come out after he passed. And there was a picture of him playing the drums behind me as I'm performing. And I think that was the first time that we met. And he did a class called Conversations in African Culture and History. And I actually write like a whole chapter about it in my book where he basically, it, it, I, I describe it as if, Wakanda was a real place and you had and you could go to a class in Wakanda that would teach you who you were as a black person. It would be his class. 
Because when you walked into that place, he gave you this sense of this is your mission as a black person. This is what the creator expects from you. This is your part in the tribe. And it was a feeling I I left the church um, about four and a half years ago. So it's better than any church that I've ever been to just this um, validation of identity and humanity and, and purpose um, and just to be very true to that. And also um, I, I, in the book, I talk about divine laws, you know, cause I moved away from religion to talking about, you know, divine laws. And so he just exposed us to a lot of very ancient beliefs um, and getting away from religion and getting back to nature getting back to eating healthy, drinking health, you know, drinking lots of water, meditating, breathing, yoga, um, just being really in tune with yourself. You know, one thing that I disliked about religion was there was always this battle between the flesh and the spirit and in yourself, you know, you even see with the cartoons, the angels on one shoulder, the devil's on the other shoulder. And there's always this idea of there's this battle for your soul and you're in the middle of that battle and you can never be at peace because there's constant warfare. Well, in his class was the first time I never felt that battle. And once I went to his class, I never felt that battle again. It was like, you can be completely aligned. Your spirit, soul, body, everything can be completely aligned. And there doesn't need to be any, any struggle. You know, you find out what your purpose is, you walk in it and you, you bring honor to your creator, you bring honor to your village, you know, and it was just, it was just very simple. Um, and just so it was um, it was just life changing for a person who grew up in this constant battle, like I said, angels, demons, you know, battling for your mind and soul to, to say, be in silence, be in peace, hear your heart, breathe, you know, walk in peace with nature. Nature doesn't struggle. Nature just flows, flow, you know, like Bruce Lee, be water, my friend. You know, water can crash and water can flow, be water, you know? So it was just a very different um, way of looking at the world. Um, you don't have to fight evil, just be good. Good overcomes evil by, by, by just being, you know, light overcomes darkness by just being. If dark, if this whole room is dark and you light one candle, it's no longer dark. You don't have to fight, you just be, you know? So it was a very, it was just a very different mentality. So um, he totally transformed my life just by being, just by opening his mouth, you know? So, yeah. And uh, when, you, when you were learning these things, uh, you know, with your mentor, you know, what you discussed, you know, meditating, healthy eating, etc. Did you have that initial thought of like, oh my God, I got to do so much work. I got so much work to do. This seems overwhelming. Or were you, you know, was it just more of like an, like an ease and an eagerness? Like, okay, like I think I'm getting it and I'm going to get to it. And I'm excited about the work that I got to do. It, the way I, I will describe it, it felt like you walk into a room and you're in chains and the longer you sit in the room, the more chains fall off of you. And then when you walk out of the room, you look back at the chains and you're like, I was carrying all of that on me every day. How did I even survive? How did I even get one step in front of the other? And, and it was more like that than there was no push. There was no it because there was this idea of 
um, development, growth, nature, everything starts as a seed. You know what I'm saying? And whatever he was giving us were seeds. They were going to develop and germinate at their own pace. So there was no struggle in learning it. It was you learn what you can, you absorb what you can, you do what you can. And then as you develop, you develop. So it was no struggle. Um, there was no idea of perfection. There was no idea of I should be here by this point or here by that point. There was none of that. It was this is life. Life unfolds. Life develops. So just be, absorb, you know, become. That's it. So it was it was a very different it was a very different way of thinking. So no, I never felt overwhelmed. It did make me think, gosh, why, you know, why did I have to get to 40 something to, to learn this stuff? Man, my life would have been so much better, but then everything happens in divine timing, you know, because to be honest, he probably invited me to that class for six months before I ever came. Cause I didn't want to come to a class. You know, I'm like, I'm busy. What did you invite me to a class? I, I teach class. I mean, I don't want to come to a class, but then finally I just came and then I never left, you know? So, yeah. I love it. Um, I mean, we mentioned your, your podcast called the Zenergy podcast, which I assume is a, a mixture of your first name, Zen and energy. Yes. Uh, how would you define Zenergy? Zenergy is the urge for more peace and fulfillment in life. So I start off my podcast and you probably heard me say this, say I am Zen Ashe. I am a coach, conduit and catalyst that launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. So Zenergy is the idea that there are no limitations. The only limitations are in your mindset. So if you replace limitations with possibilities, you accelerate your mindset changes and everything starts as a thought. Everything is created twice. First in your thoughts, which become your feelings, which influence your actions and your actions create your results. So if you change your thoughts, you change your feelings, you will change your actions, you will change your results. So it comes out of the inner, the inner becomes the outer. So Zenergy is all about starting that seed again, planting seeds, you plant seeds, things grow. And giving people, I, I put 10 topics up at a time on my, on my podcast guest forum. The guest picks the topic. I send them a couple of questions, like seven questions that are just general questions. And then we just talk because my whole idea is the stories are what we learn from. Our brain is geared to learn in stories. That's why we teach little kids stories like the three little pigs and little red riding hood and stuff. Our brain is geared to learn in stories. So if you tell me your story, my brain is going to put some things together and remember some of those things. And then I can learn from your story. So I want people to tell their stories. I want people to tell their triumphs, their, their lessons, you know, and I want us to discuss that topic so that it becomes more than just a word. What I want is for the word dedication to become a living, breathing thing to people. It's not a word. It's something that they now have a, a personal connection to, you know, and when they have a personal connection to it, it seems more relevant, more important, and then more doable. And so that's kind of the concept of the Zenergy podcast. I love it. And obviously you can find this energy. You, you can find this energy podcast wherever you get podcasts. Um, now, uh, Andrew, did you have uh, uh, any last thoughts before we head out of here? 
Yes, I did want to ask you a question. Um, being Zen, Zen I love. It's, for, I use myself for example. Trying to be Zen, trying to stay in that space, it can be hard sometimes when you're like, well, I fell out of my Zen cycle for this, so I might as well just pile on a little bit more. It's not that bad. What would you say to someone who thinks of trying to be Zen that way? Um, to me, being Zen is, okay, Zen is the state of peace and fulfillment. Um, it's a state of contentment, but everything has a dual pole, you know? So hot and cold are on the same pole of temperature. So you're not always going to be exactly peaceful. There's sometimes you're going to be chaotic, but even in chaos, even in a storm, you have a center of a storm where there's peace and quiet. So even in chaos, you can find peace. So I think that people just need to realize that we're dual, you know, we're um, a woman has both male and female tendencies a male has both female and, and male tendencies. We are dual. So you can't always be completely peaceful. There are going to be times when you are chaotic, when you are feeling all kinds of feelings and just let that be because that is the nature of life. And so just move with it. The goal is to come out of that chaos as easily and as soon as possible, but just to, just to be human, just to be human and, and realize that we are dual and, and we don't have to stress to be something that's unnatural. It's not natural to always be happy. Sometimes you're going to be sad. You know, sometimes you're going to be mad. Sometimes you're going to be frustrated and disappointed. Th those, all of those feelings are normal, but the goal is to come to not wallow in the negativity. The goal is to not wallow. So that should, to me, should be people's goal. Feel the feelings, but let them go through you and don't wallow on them. You know? Wow. You know, I, what, what, what I like about what all of, you know, what, what you're saying here, Zan, is that it's both like very, thought-provoking but there's also like a like an ease and a simplicity to it so i think you balance that really well with with what you're uh, telling us and and again i mean you know for those listening i highly encourage you to check out this energy podcast if you would like more of this this awesome vibe that zen is giving us and uh please plug that book again because i'm i'm going to be okay. one of the first people tonight to get it on Amazon. <laughs> so I have two books on Amazon. This is my guided journal that says energize your life. So there's actually every, the first, all the A topics on my podcast, there's a page in here for them. And you have like journals, prompts and thought provoking statements and meditations, affirmations, all kind of stuff, uh, vision board activities. So all of that goes with the podcast um, for the A topics. And that's called Zenergize Your Life, volume one. And this is the book. That's my memoir, Plenty of Guppies yes. and Other Dating Misadventures. And they're both on Amazon. Um, you can either look up the title or you can look up my name, which is Zen, Z-E-N-A-S-E. -E. Those are two words, Zen Ashe. If you type in Zen Ashe on Amazon, it'll take you to my author page. It should. Or Plenty of Guppies or Zenergize Your Life. So those are the two books I have on Amazon. Love it. Love it. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, Zen. The Anything Show with John Francois on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Join us on YouTube, Facebook.com slash The Anything Show, and Instagram and TikTok at Anything Show Francois. Join Andrew Vandertunt on Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy wherever you get podcasts, and on Instagram and TikTok at AJ Vandertunt.